Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of From the Lighthouse. I'm Stephanie and I'm very excited because I am joined virtually over the waters and the seas here today by Sarah May Tucson, who is an editor and a podcast producer. Now Sarah May has a company called Fable Gazers, and that's the name of the, the first season of her podcast, which actually won a bronze at the British Podcasting Awards. Uh, fledgling podcast company and she's here today to talk about the second season of her podcast um, series which is about a, a subject that is very near and dear to my heart and that's Georgette Hare and the next season is going to be called Hare Today. So Sarah May, hello. Hello Stephanie, how are you doing? I'm very well, thank you so much for joining me today, early in the morning there for you. Well, it's not that bad, really. 9am is, you know, I would be a bit of a slattern if I thought that that was very early. <laughs> so, you know, 9am is, you know, no, that's actually an early morning person. <laughs> no, I'm very much not a morning person, but this is doable for me. If you told me to come on at 5am, you know, that would be more difficult, I think. <laughs> so, Sarah May, um, can you tell me about, about Haya Today? Um, Haya Today, sorry and about the, the fundraiser that you've got going to, to crowdsource, um, to crowdfund the project? Well, yes. I, I um, So I've had this little fledgling company, and what our sort of modus operandi is is that we do a different story as kind of like a serialised thing. So there'll be a certain number of episodes, and then we'll finish. And season one, which was actually called The Sugar Baby Confessionals, um, is a completely different kettle of fish to season two which deals with one of my long uh, literary long-held literary obsessions Georgette Hare and um, it's just uh, I, I basically I was looking for a podcast about Georgette Hare mm -hmm. I wanted to hear what other people thought when reading the books these books I'd adored and I've reread and reread over and over again and uh, I couldn't find one so I, th I thought to myself this was four years ago now <laughs> <laughs> and since then it's just kind of become this gargantuan thing it's I started off saying I'm only ever going to do like 12 to 15 episodes of any particular story but it's it's grown to 24 episodes just because there's so much amazing material you know I've got people like Stephen Fry and Joanne Harris and Harriet Evans and Mary Jo Putney the best-selling author coming on to talk about their love of hair and that's been something that's been wonderful because so many people have been so generous with their time and I found that that's almost universal whenever I speak to people about people who love hair you know they're just so willing to 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 talk about her really so. I know well I mean as you were talking I thought 24 episodes about Georgette Hare like that is just if you if I had to define perfection and, and heaven on earth that's what it would be <laughs> I mean and I know what you mean every time I talk to somebody as well about Georgette there is that sense of enthusiasm and, you know, the desire to kind of, you know, express um, the love. What is it about Georgette Hare that, that does this to people, do you think? You know, what is it about her that makes us kind of lose all? We were talking just before we started recording about um, how we lose our critical faculties when we read her and we just go along with the story. What is it about her? Well, we suspend them, don't, don't we? Um, well, for me personally, it's a, there's a connection to Jane Austen, who I also adore, mm. but she only wrote six, the six novels, you know, and um, you can only reread and reread those, you know, so many times. But, and I, I kind of felt that 
a hair for me was this wonderful mashup between her and PG Woodhouse, who mm. is another of my favorites because she sort of combines a much more farcical sense of fun and levity with, um, with that kind of Austin-esque romance and uh, the, the sort of small, what is it, one family in a, in a kind of... <laughs> yeah. Although I think um, Hare's world often is a bit more expansive in, in that sense. You know, you can go from a small village to London and uh, back again kind of thing. Um, and I think that Hare, she was... At, I mean, we're talking about it a little bit and I've heard you talking about it on From the Lighthouse a few times. There's elements that she brings that Austin can't bring, which for someone who's kind of likes, likes to fill in the gaps, there, there's some lovely things that she, you know, Hare writing the 20th century as opposed to Regency times uh, could, could fill in, like, the, the way that the men, she can go into the men's world, she can go into the men's clubs, mm. and, you know, you can really see them at doing their sports and their, you know, carriage races <laughs> yeah. and you can and you can kind of see a, a kind of um the grittier spaces the you know the naughtier spaces the gambling um halls the you know as you say the in their clubs in their at their sports so she yes. as you say it, it's, it's all about kind of getting into those spaces that austin for various reasons can't necessarily get into but are always there in her novels they're not absent yes. it's just she can't go there Exactly. She's kind of um, by dint of being herself a you know proper lady of the time. She can't really talk about these kind of uh, things so, so directly. But of course, she did them as you say, deftly and subtly. You know, reading between the lines. But um, the other thing that's I think draws a lot of people to her is her wonderful colloquialisms. And I don't, you know which she found like these nuggets of language that she, she would dig out from letters and things that she would buy at auctions and was very proud of her sort of the, you know, the way that she'd find these lovely little wonderful uh, bits of language and phrase phraseology that was very particular to that time. Um, and of course, you know, people would then try to copy her uh, most notably Barbara Cartland and people like that. And, and then she would be able to tell because she'd, she'd be, you know, she'd know that a particular phrase had come from a letter that she'd been sort of lent by someone and only, her, only she had seen it or, or it was used in the wrong way, you know. Or they, often it would be something she used to get very particular about the fashion. Yeah. She'd be like, one would never wear, you know, yellow breeches with, <laughs> you know, and, and of that, of that would be the sort of red flag for her. But... Um, so you, you, it's a really immersive world. Once you get into that world, it's very easy to lose yourself in it because it's so particular to her. I don't think even her copycats can't quite get the patois right. I don't feel. Um, yeah, you know? I definitely agree. I mean, as somebody who's who's, who's read pretty much all of them now, um, I can I can spot an imitator a mile away. And they're never as good. They're never as fully fleshed out. They're never as, um, the world doesn't seem as real. And another thing that strikes me about her every time I, I read or reread her is how good she is at drawing characters so simply. She has that in common with Austen. You know, all of her secondary characters feel fully fleshed out. They don't feel like they're just sort of plot functionaries. 
yes no i mean she's 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 brilliant at that and she's also brilliant at subverting your expectations when it comes to uh, romance tropes and you know things like that you know like when she would play around by making a secondary character or who you think is a secondary character into the hero like in um <clears throat> cotillion oh yes with standard yeah who who is <laughs> he's the guy who would normally be the secondary character she's she does a wonderful line and sort of quite silly young men and <laughs> and women <laughs> but um you know and he, and he becomes the person and she makes indirectly man manages to make a very interesting comment about our romance our heroes you know and we think about the Heathcliffs and the kind of Byron-esque mm. models for for her sort of type one hair hair heroes um she 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 won't just she doesn't just settle on those as the kind of the ones that they're always we're always given she sometimes messes around with you your expectations and you know like freddie is is supposed to be the best friend but he ends up being the practical kind person that the the heroine of that book actually needs and she she even reflects on how, you know, it would be all very well and nice to, it's very romantic to imagine a guy riding in on a horse and sweeping you up and, you know, eloping with you. But actually that would be quite <laughs> impractical and <laughs> annoying in real life. Um, I, love the, I love the comment that she makes in that novel that what you really want is the, is the man that will always have an umbrella for you. Yes, yes, indeed. It's such a beautiful way of putting it. You, you know, it's all very well and good to get lost in the romance, but actually... A, a man who will do little nice things for you, little considerate things for you is actually the far better bet. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, and yes, it's more comfortable, isn't it? It's more yeah. sort of <laughs> in the long run and if you had to live with them day in, day out. <laughs> no, no, you definitely don't want to live with Heathcliff. <laughs> no, I mean, well, yeah, I mean, this is, there you go, you know, this is the thing. But, I mean, of course, we adore Heathcliff in yeah, spite. In a different way. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So, but I think that she was very, very aware of all of these people that we revere, like the Brontes and and uh, Austen, and so I think that she's drawing quite heavily on that literary heritage, and in a very sort of um, she likes to, she sort of pays homage through her books, but also is you know she's got such a good sense of humour, mm. and she likes to skewer the sillier aspects of it, you know, and you can see that in the way that she treats poets. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, um, you know, uh, there's a wonderful uh, sort of character in Venetia. Again, I'm not going to be able to remember. You're going to have to look that up afterwards. <laughs> um, he's a, like a, a young man who's in love with her and he's got, you know, it's more about the, he's more in love with the idea of being in love in, in that Byronic sense. And he's got this sort of disheveled appearance that he's trying to emulate his hero and, you know, he's always kind of doing quite silly things to get Venetia's attention. Um, and and I, I think that she, you know, I, I don't know if she, I think she gives Poe's pretty short shrift throughout all her novels. She gives a lot of very um, silly people very short shrift, doesn't she? <laughs> she does. She doesn't uh, have much, but not in a mean way. This is the no. thing. I think in life... My impression from the biographies is that she was quite caustic and crusty. <laughs> yeah. What carries through in her novels to me is this, this kind of affectionate teasing. You know, she, yes. 
she will often, even her heroines or her heroes, she will um, subject, I suppose, although that's not quite the right word, to affectionate teasing. You know, she, she can see through people's pretenses very clearly, I think. And, you know, when people deserve to kind of be pilloried, then she will pillory them. But when they just need a bit of gentle prodding, she's good at the gentle prodding, so to speak. <laughs> Oh yeah, she's wonderful. She's wonderfully good at at that. And um, her her ca- the the thing that often draws her hero and heroine together is a shared sense of the ridiculous. And that's one of the I think that's for me one of the most wonderful things. Her idea of of love is much more about a meeting of the minds and sense of humor is such an important component of that for her. Mm. Um, and that's what makes them so wonderful because both it's that rather than the sort of, you know, I mean, she will, she will, <laughs> she will, you know, d- you know, draw the eye to his a well-turned ankle or, a, or with the <laughs> He's excellently calves. <laughs> exactly. You know, the well-fitted, you know, the form fitting and they're usually sportsmen. So they're usually quite, um, but it's much more for her about this kind of compatibility of you know the, the links mm. that you can earn, the closest you can get from sharing a sense of the ridiculous um so i think that was very important to her you know in a lot of ways to kind of show that as as the thing that draws them together as opposed to you know just handsomeness <laughs> all that kind of superficial kind of romance um i wanted to talk more about um so i'm just reading your um your crowdfunding page. And you've said that one of the things you wanted to do with this podcast is kind of introduce her to people who hadn't read her. A lot of people I know come to come to her through like their mothers or through female friends, etc. But I'm interested in how you went with, you know, introducing people to her. Well, this is the thing. As this project grew, initially I was going to, it was just simply going to be, um, introducing people to hair and I was going to take 12 of the books for the 12 episodes and invite someone who never read hair <laughs> to, to, and try and convert them. So each week I was going to try and convert someone and say, you know, what do you think? In retrospect, I'm not sure if this is going to backfire on me a bit because not everybody was as, I was astonished to, to learn. Not everybody is, <laughs> you know, as, a, you know, but I think that's going to be realistic and I'm going to balance it out by having, so that's going to become the book club and every second week you'll be able to join in and we'll, we'll have one of those episodes. Hang on, have a bit of, me, are you telling me that there are people out there that don't like I know. I know, right? I have to admit, when that happens, my estimation of them sinks a few inches. I don't know if you you read, but I'm guessing you probably did, um, if you read, you know, Anna Green Gables as a child. I feel like those people that don't like hair are not kindred spirits. I agree. I agree. (laughs) And it's sad. It's very sad because, you know, one always hopes to, to find some, you know, place of connection with everybody that one meets but unfortunately (laughs) (laughs) when it comes to hair but I mean this is the thing I've got I've managed to get a very very wide from all over the world people you know from America Australia lots of different types so you'll be able to have a very and and it'll be balanced because 
every so that each first week we'll have an interview someone like Stephen Fry and that's where I'll get to sort of get all my fan girling out the way (laughs) (laughs) how did you manage to get Stephen Fry was he already a fan Yes, he, he was actually at the previous Georgia Hare convention. Uh, he wasn't at it, but he'd written something for the little booklet that they did for the previous Georgia Hare convention. The one um, in the UK? No, in the, the one in Australia. Oh, I missed that um, one. I went to the third one, but I, didn't, I, have, I missed the first two. I know, I'm so gutted that I didn't get to go to any of them. <laughs> um, it's a little bit of a hop, skip and a jump for me, I must yeah. say. But, um, <laughs> and I, so I knew that he, li- he was a fan. And when I was doing my research, and listen, I just took a chance and got in touch with his, uh, you know, his people. And I wrote, a, you know, an email describing what I wanted to do. And I think I must have just been lucky. He must have been in between projects. You know, he must have been. Oh, he just um, really wanted to talk about Georgianne. Yes, I think, that, but that's the thing. I think the people who love her are, very, are keen to talk. And he was so generous with his time. You know, he, it was quite amusing because, the, there was a bit of a snafu with the emailing where I think he was supposed to be replying to his uh, his secretary or his personal assistant, um, and and uh, it was obviously to he he sent it straight to me, <laughs> and what it was was she'd obviously said this is the thing he, would you like to do this and he was like I suppose it wouldn't be awful to do this. <laughs> and I was like I got that in my inbox. First of all, seeing an email from Stephen Fry, I mean my head was. Almost exploded. That could be the you know the strip line of the po- of the podcast. It wouldn't be awful. <laughs> exactly. No, but this is and and he gave me he ended up giving me like an hour of his time when you know they only promised me fifteen minutes. Having said that, I only had fifteen minutes worth of questions. <laughs> but luckily, he um, is such a wonderful you know anecdotalist and. Um, you know, he he could just hold hold forth in a very wonderfully interesting way. We talked about all sorts of different things, you know, historical, the the time period, Bo Brummel, because I I knew that, that you know Oscar Wilde, who he played, was very influenced by Bob Brummel. Yes, of and uh, yeah, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. So I think he calls it Brummel, you know. <laughs> Brummel, so I, <laughs> possibly both wrong. Uh, well you know listen I think I'm going to make many such mistakes um, in the podcast but um, yeah so he so you know people like that and and, you know wonderful people like it was what I talked to um, Joanne Harris because one of the threads that I'm one of the through lines throughout the podcast is going to be me investigating why her books haven't been made into films because they would make the most wonderful films or TV series you know it's the golden age of telly you know I'd like to think that if someone simply knew about how good these books were they they'd be like scrabbling to but i guess it's because a lot of them aren't out of copyright yet so i guess i don't know i suppose it's more more we kind of uncover as we go along because i i also speak to andy patterson who's the producer a big film producer who's done the railway man and girl with a pearl earring oh wow and his wife is yeah and his wife is olivia heatreed who's who's done many literary adaptions including a wonderful version of Wuthering Heights I don't know if you saw that um which one was that that was where she's very explicitly made Heathcliff a black uh, man that's right that was really interesting yeah it was it was very interesting to me you know look I am one of those annoying people that I like the films (laughs) to be exactly like the book 
Yeah. <laughs> if they're not, then I'm very unforgiving. But in this case, I just thought it was such a fascinating reimagining of things that were never made explicit in Wuthering Heights, you know? Mm. Um, so I, I very much enjoyed her. And, and so obviously he's Andy Patterson's coming from that perspective and he's got someone, you know, who's worked with a lot, you know, he, they worked together on Girl with Pearl Earring in adapting a book. So if anyone was going to do a brilliant job, it's him. And he tr is, we talk about his attempts to get the grand Sophie made into a film. And over the course of the entire podcast, you kind of, for people who are cinephiles, which I, which I am, it's, you, you get to see what exactly, why is it so hard to get a film made? You know, cause in my innocence, mm. I just sort of, it's, it's easy, isn't it? You've got this great material. What? Just get some money. Just get it. You know, <laughs> you know there's an audience. Uh, let's do it. You know, and uh, apparently it's not that that easy. <laughs> yeah, well, I know there's been various false starts as well. There's been you know a few attempts or yes that you know something was going to be made. And yes, in my of course as well in my innocence, I just think you know there's however many forty, fifty whatever there is, I can't remember, um, excellent novels that are just right yes. for adapting, just go ahead and do it. But as you say, it is, it is a far more complex um, proposition. And also I think it would break my heart if they were done badly. I know, I know. I mean, that's, that's the thing. I mean, you'd like to think that it would be very difficult to mess it up. But, of course, there was famously one film uh, made in the 50s, wasn't it? <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, was it the 50s? Or, yeah, I think it was the 50s. Um, called the you know the based on the reluctant widow, mm. and much like the Laurence Olivier Pride and Prejudice, it's kind of not well. Sorry, in my opinion, maybe you love that version, but no, it was the thing. It's not particularly good, and and so there you can kind of see where it can go wrong. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I having said that, I'm going to go back and rewatch it because yeah. I'm trying not to. You know, I remember watching it sort of on YouTube and. I was just, oh, this isn't very satisfactory. You know, that's not how I pictured this. And they've made these changes. And, of course, Hare herself thought it was really salacious reimagining, you know, and, and um, she didn't watch it, though. This is the thing. Her son <laughs> went and he walked out. Yeah, and he said oh. to her, don't bother, you know. <laughs> I've never so, seen it myself. I, will, I, I, will, I might have to be very brave. And give it a go. <laughs> well, you know, this is the thing. I love old movies, so I can usually I'm pretty usually I can be a bit more forgiving. But well, for example, with the Pride and the Jane Austen Pride and Prejudice uh, version of the Laurence Olivier, that's I just really didn't work for me. The changes that they made just I was so sort of resentful, <laughs> and it, it, it really sort of marred my my yeah. ability to be able to, especially Lady Catherine de Bourgh being a um a kind of um, <laughs> helping them to get together. That was just unforgivable, wasn't it? I mean, no. how can you do that to one of literature's greatest grandams? <laughs> you know, no, exactly. She'd, they've taken all the teeth out. So yes, I would. I would love yeah. to see to see her done properly, um, rather than done like that. But you know, fingers crossed, it may still happen. It seems like you know Netflix and streaming has opened up all new kind of venues. For yes. So hopefully, I'm just waiting for for that for. You know, maybe Andy will do it. You know, we'll we'll see. Yeah, um, maybe I'm going to uh, before I release. I'm going to get back to him, and you know, because it's been four years in the making. A lot of a lot of the material 
is um, evolves, but it's quite nice because then I can go back and do a little update. It's like a jump into the future and, and I can say, well, this was happening then, but now this is the latest. So you'll be able to get the latest, you know, interesting undits. <laughs> now tell me, you are, you're currently crowdfunding for the podcast. Um, yes. So I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about that and when you are likely to publish as well. Well, there's very short time left to, to donate. And I mean, it, it's, I'm just trying to crowdfund because I've doubled up the number of episodes and there's so many hours of editing to do. And I'd like to also be able to do wonderful things like have some audio drama in there. Ooh. I've got um, two different hairs. So I've got two different wonderful voice actors already who are doing young hair um, where I'm going to have her, uh, you know, chiming in every now and again with real quotes from, from her letters um, throughout. And so it's a very, very ambitious project. And it's, I basically just need the money to give me some time to really focus on it mm. and, you know, pay people like the voice actors. And I've got an original score. I've got um, not only uh, music from Emma Gattrell, who's this wonderful harpist uh, who does incredible indie folk music. She's given me um, a whole album of hers to do, but I've also composed an original score which I had so much fun doing because um my friend and Tom Chad and I he's an amazing uh, musician he was able to I wanted to take uh, music inspired by each decade of her life oh, so wow. like a 1920s flavored tune and then do them both in piano or pianoforte for the time and harpsichord yeah. And uh, I mean, this is just the geeky depths to that, to that I'm going to. I'm literally, <laughs> so every, um, every interview thing will have the piano forte music, but it'll be the same tunes. And then every book club episode will have the harpsichord. Oh, fantastic. Um, I thought that would just be quite a nice way to bring the Regency and the times that she's living in, in a very subtle way. But of course, no one's going to notice that. <laughs> No, no, they will. I will. Well, anybody who listens to this now will. <laughs> well, I hope so. I mean, that's a little, I mean, this is the thing. I'm, I, I've poured so much love into this and it just, you know, it would, it would, I would hate it if I, um, just because I've, you know, you've got to live life, you've got to also work and earn money and all this kind of thing. Um, you know, it's not as good as it could be. That's my fear is that I can't do her justice. And, I mean, I've interviewed over 39 different people. Wow. You know? Yeah. Um, some, you know, amazing, famous people like, you know, Stephen Fry, Harry Evans, all of those people. And, and other, I've, for the book clubs, it's just such a wide variety of, you know, friends, you know, people that I've met, people that I thought would be interesting to talk to, people that I thought would be funny. Mm. Like I got a young man who's the bassist in my band. Oh, wow. <laughs> would, he was the same age as the um hero in uh devil's cub oh. <laughs> and um of course Vidal. well <laughs> i just thought it'd be amusing so i talked to him and i say to him you know would what what you know the, the guys your age would you would you do like a, what are you doing that's the equivalent of like gambling <laughs> or you know a carriage racing and things like that and he was he took it in very good part and probably played along. playing video games yeah sorry probably playing video games <laughs> yeah he was, he was like we don't do as much dueling no, no. <laughs> I mean, 
it was very <laughs> funny though because <laughs> sorry which is a good thing i don't think i would be behind dueling <laughs> no exactly i mean it, it was quite amusing with that one in particular because he obviously he'd never read any hairs yeah. and the opening scene of devil's cub is basically him shooting a highwayman and leaving the highwayman on the road so you know it was all kind of uh <laughs> when we talk yeah. about the suspension of <laughs> yeah i mean that, that's kind of a very you know interesting what, the, one of the interesting things was these are books that I've reread and reread. So seeing it through someone else's eyes who's never read the books yeah. and sort of having to kind of sometimes explain or contextualize um, was, a, is, was a very interesting process for me. And I think quite good for me and, and very enjoyable because you, you, you're kind of forced to sort of forensically analyze things that you just usually just roll over you. And it's nice to, to come back to the novels. You know, they're, they're, they're sufficiently kind of rich and um, textured that they're the kinds of books that when you come back to them after, you know, many years, um, there's something new in them and you read them a different way or you notice something about them that you hadn't noticed before, um, which, is, which is lovely because it's almost like a different kind of experience as a novel every time. Um, yes. So that's yeah. your yeah, that's your crowdfunding. That's your podcast. When are you hoping that your podcast will go live? I'm aiming for December, and Ooh. it's become imperative because I'm actually having a baby, my first oh, baby. Congratulations! <laughs> Thank you. You heard it here first. No, I'm yeah. Breaking news. <laughs> Breaking news. Um, even my husband didn't. No, I'm joking. <laughs> 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 um, yeah so um obviously it'd be wonderful if i could finish everything every outstanding project in my life before the deadline um because obviously i don't know how that how my life is going to change you know <laughs> and that's but that's been my that's always been my goal to kind of start releasing in december and so you can have a nice christmas experience yeah. of starting podcast but um brilliant nothing sounds better I mean, touch wood <laughs> everything goes well well we'll um, put some information about the crowdfunding in the show notes so if you're listening to this and you and you love Georgette as much as i do and as much as sarah may does please you know donate your your dollars it's only a few dollars to help um and we'll might get a nice christmas tree <laughs> yes no thank you that would be i mean there's only a, a short time left so yes. um and we're not quite until the end of July, is it? Or yes, the twenty ninth of July is the you know is the final day, and uh, yeah, you can really. I mean, it will. Be, listen, I think obviously it's hard times for everybody, and I'm sure that there's other things people can spend their money on. But you know, I, I, I sometimes I think it's nice to spend your money on something frivolous. It's free. It's hours of work and research, not just on my my side, but from the contributions from so many people. I've just been so grateful to these people and I want to do them justice. It's not frivolous um, at all. It's deadly important in my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> well, we need some time. You know what? I think frivolity is underrated in this, in this time. You know, I feel like we live in, I'm grateful for them. Exactly. Georgette can make up for a lot of ills, I think. Yes, indeed. And, you know, <laughs> she's, she's one of the few authors that I genuinely can literally reread the same book sort of once a year or something. Yes. And it's like almost like the first time. 
I'm yeah. still, you know, getting the same level of enjoyment. I, I don't, I can't think of any other writer that I have the same experience of uh, yeah, in terms of reading. It's, it's, I don't know why that is. <laughs> it's endlessly <laughs> Yes, you know, so for all the romantics out there or, or even if people who, you know, just anybody love historical romance. Yeah, and anybody who likes good writing. She's a good writer. Yes. She'd be more widely read. Thank you so much, Sarah May. We have to um, wrap up here, but it's been such a delight talking to you and hearing about your podcast. I can't wait to listen. And um, I have an inexhaustible desire for all things, Georgette. So this is right up my alley. I've donated to your podcast and I'm looking forward to it. Thank you, mm -hmm. Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure. This is such a wonderful podcast and it oh. really satisfies my my because uh, you guys really delve into all the academic elements as well but in a, such an accessible way so i, I love it. Thank, yeah. you. So thank you for saying that that's lovely well thank you thanks for having me thank you well this has been another episode of from the lighthouse um if you could please rate and review us on apple Podcasts, that would be very very useful um send any suggestions for future episodes or feedback our way and once again i will have all of the information about sarah may's um podcast and crowdfunding in the show notes so please if you've got a few extra dollars in your wallet at the end of the month then i know that you would very much appreciate that we'll see you again in two weeks thank you bye